You are now tuned in to the Addicted to Success.com podcast, where geniuses, entrepreneurs, and next level game changers share their juicy little secrets on achieving massive success. This is the advice you wish you heard years ago. Be prepared and take note as we expose the realness and the raw of what it takes to be successful on Addicted to Success.com. Now, before we get into this interview, I have an exclusive opportunity for you that I'd love to bring to your attention. And that is I have just launched a six to 12 month mastermind called the Circle of Influence, where I'll be taking you under my wing to show you how to build a platform online that generates an income for you so you can have more freedom in your life. I'm also going to show you how to become a powerful influencer online so that you can score interviews and so you can get exposure on major publications and platforms. And I'm going to even show you how to build these platforms yourself, such as a website, podcast, a YouTube channel, and a social media following so that you can get your message out there to millions. I'm also going to show you how to network with other incredible leaders online so that you can interview them and so that you can collaborate with them and really show you how to refine your story so you can share it in an unforgettable way to score more interviews, to score book deals, and to gain more speaking opportunities so that you can become a powerhouse leader. Now, if this speaks to you, make sure you head over to IamJoelBrown.com slash apply and get in before I close my doors on this live interactive exclusive opportunity where I'm going to go deep with you and with the community of Circle of Influence Game Changers. Don't miss this. Now let's get into this interview. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Addicted to Success podcast. I'm your host, Joel Brown, and I'm here today with this serial entrepreneur, philanthropist, author, and extreme entrepreneur. His name is Peter Sage. Uh, I have been following Peter's work for a while now. I know he was working alongside Tony Robbins for many years. Uh, I see him out there really just pushing his edges and living an, a, a boundless life of possibilities. And I cannot wait for you to hear Peter's principles and his philosophy for life because I really feel like you're going to get so much value from it in this episode. And uh, Peter also went through an actually really interesting experience just recently and I'd love to dive into that. So Peter, thank you so much for jumping in. I know that you have launched over 20 businesses. Uh, so when you hear the word serial entrepreneur, it doesn't mean you've just launched a few and you've slapped that title on there. You legitimately are an entrepreneur that's all about building and growing and serving. And I'm just excited to have you here today. So thank you for jumping in the Addicted to Success podcast. Well, thank you, Joel, for inviting me. It's, uh, it's an amazing platform. I, I love your listenership. I, I think what you stand for is great, and I'm excited to be able to contribute. Love it. Thank you. So, Peter, let's jump into this. What do you believe being addicted to success means? Because feel, I feel like you may share a similar philosophy to, to uh, myself and, and uh, our movement that we've created. Addicted to success for me means a, a few things. One is not, you know, not being willing to settle for less than your own greatness. Uh, it's about being mm. able to continually express this incredible gift that we've got called life, yeah, living in a time in human history that our ancestors have dreamed about, and being able to go out there and, and swing the bat without being afraid of, of what the, you know, striking out. Yeah, so for me, being addicted to success is raising your game. It's not about addicted to winning. That's a different philosophy. Addicted to winning means you're afraid to lose. Addicted to winning means you'll usually compromise your values around integrity in order to you know, stop yourself from failing. 
but addicted to success is a higher sense of morals. It's a higher sense of values. It's a higher sense of purpose of being here. And for me, that's what the game's about. Oh, I love this. I love that you clearly define the difference there. I think a lot of people, what they do is they attach it to this outcome that sometimes they uh, may be living in a fantasy about and their fantasy slowly turns into a nightmare when they realize they haven't got their ducks in a row. Yeah. Is this something that you notice too? Uh, absolutely, because what happens if you're addicted to winning, then you tend to force your agenda onto the world. And what I've learned in 30 years of doing what I do in both personal growth and business is that you know, the, the world is a pretty rigid um, you know, sort of uh, immovable object. And if we try to force it, like bending back a tree branch, it usually slaps us back in the face when we take our foot off the gas. But, <laughs> but you know, learning to align with life, learning to align with the principles of life and flowing with the river, because there are no straight lines in nature. Yeah, our left brain seduces us into thinking that success is about running towards your goal in the shortest possible distance. And that's never the case. Yeah, the fastest way from A to B is never a straight line. Yeah, if you doubt that, try leaving your front door and driving in a straight line to the gym. Yeah, it's, it's, it's not going to work. So yeah, if you understand that you know, being the, uh, addicted to success or, or following those kind of principles is about learning how to co-create, cooperate with the rules of the game rather than trying to force your agenda onto the rules of the game, life is a lot less stressful. Uh, amen to that. Amen to that, brother. I like, there's just so much that we can do here. I love the points that you're making. I feel like we could take it in so many directions. I definitely want to bring it to a core so that we can start there. And you mentioned life principles. Can you drop in on that and share with us? What do you believe are life principles that we can start living by to live a life of fulfillment and a life of uh, healthy success? Well, in, in all fairness, life for many people is a, a journey of where they're at. In, in other words, that you know, no, nobody's born enlightened. And yeah, for some people, being in the victim mentality is exactly what they need right now in order to contrast that down the line so that they never go back. So it's, again, I, I'm, I'm mindful as to not just impose, well, these are the rules you should live by, because everybody needs to figure out their, you know, their own path on their own journey for where it is. But yep. to, to give some guiding principles or guiding lights or understanding around that, uh, I, I'm happy to share because, you know, for me, some of the defining characteristics in the maturation of the human psyche, in other words, in terms of the, the emotional maturity, which is really why we're here, you know, we're here to grow up. We don't get to choose that physically. Now, that's part of the rule set. That's built into the system. And you can think youthful thoughts and you can buy expensive creams. But I've got news for you. You're going to age. <laughs> that's part of the game. <laughs> hey, you know, we, we don't get a vote on that. But we do mm -hmm. get to choose whether we grow up emotionally or spiritually. And unfortunately, right. Joel, as I'm, I'm sure you've experienced, there's, there's a lot of people that aren't aware of that. And therefore, we have a lot of very aging adults you know, that are running around in aging adult bodies with emotional teenage mindsets. And so if I was to give a couple of principles, um, first, I'll say there's two key defining moments, I believe, in a person's life that help them mature psychologically, emotionally, spiritually. The first is where you finally become okay not being liked. And that really should be taught yes. in schools before people be leave because most people spend their entire life being inauthentic because they're adapting their behaviors unconsciously to fit what they perceive to be the approval patterns of others, the, you know, the, you know, to, to get validation, to connection, um, uh, acceptance. And 
Yeah, you can't be authentic. I mean, the paradox is once you give that up, once you stop swimming in goop, what I call G-O-O-P, the good opinion of other people, mm. then you start showing up as who you really are without fear of you know, uh, uh, not being liked. So, you know, with, when you get as many you know, hate websites as, as your current president, you'll be doing well. You know, <laughs> it's, it, you know, it's, it, you've got to let go of that. Otherwise, you're trapped forever in, in reacting to the good opinion of other people. Uh, and the second real key point, I think, in understanding how to get on in life as a guiding principle, no matter where you're at, is to understand or come to the realization of the truth that life is a growth-centric experience, not a comfort-centric experience. Mm. And until you realize that, you are going to be avoiding the workouts in the gym. You're going to be resenting the exams in school. And you're really going to be trying to carve out this utopian bubble of no problems for me, which obviously is, is a fantasy land. Just you know, look at your own life. I mean, <laughs> that's all yeah. anyone has to do to realize that, that that's not why we're here. Mm. So, uh, and so if you can come to the awareness that you know, I'm okay not being liked. Now, it doesn't mean to say that I'm, I'm seeking being disliked. No, I'm just showing up as being authentic. And if people are responsible for their own way of how that shows up, then that's their responsibility. Yeah? Uh, and you know, I understand life is a growth-centric experience. Then you can really start to move into the, the higher levels of philosophy, which states that you know, I'm about growth and contribution, which is what everything in nature operates by, otherwise it's taken out of the food chain, not significance and you know, approval, connection, validation, fear of loss, fear of this, fear of that, you know, judgment. And that's really sets up a two very different lives. Mm, I like this. I, I really like this. This is so insightful. Yeah, you know, it's really interesting. I was speaking to one of my friends recently and uh, you know, I said, I really feel like life is about suffering, but... It's about choosing your suffering, which is different. Well, well lang language is a powerful thing because people associate emotions with words. So I'd, I'd like to invite probably a different word for suffering. And uh, I would, uh, because cause some people have a, a, a strong association to that that is more linked to aversion than embracing. And <clears throat> if, if I give you a metaphor, let, let's go to the gym. If we're yep. here in the gym of life, and you know, let's say life is our personal trainer. Life loves us. Life wants us to win the gold medal. Life wants us to you know, cross the finish line of the marathon. Right? And life wants us to become the best expression of the best athlete that we can be. Now, if you don't have an understanding or a context for knowing that you're in the gym, you're going to be hiding from that personal train. You're going to be resenting. You're going to be like complaining that why am I on this treadmill? Why am I being made to lift these weights? Why is this happening to me? But if you understand that, hang on a minute. Yeah, I'm an athlete. Right? This is what I was born for. This is how I grow. And you have two choices on which perspective to take because we all get challenged. We've all got stuff showing up in our lives. I have as much you know, crap in my life as anybody else. It's part of the game. Yeah? I don't call it suffering. I call it my workout. And that's because if I took the perspective of the muscle fiber, when I'm busting out that last rep and you know, what, is, what are my biceps saying? Right? They're sending messages to the brain. They're sending pain signals. Stop. What the hell are you doing? I'm being broken down. I'm being destroyed. You know, quit. What, what, you know? And that's one perspective how most people see their problems, their challenges, their disasters, their suffering. But if you chunk up and realize that we are in a gym, we are here to become the athletes we were born to be. 
and the strongest trees grow in the strongest winds, not the best soil, then you start taking the perspective of the athlete and you're proud that you just busted out that last rep and you can't lift your arms for the next two days. Yeah, that's a whole different way of being able to approach and relate to what people call adversity. Mm, yes, yes. You know what's really interesting, Peter? Just before I jumped to this interview with you, I came back from a, uh, a sauna. Uh, it was a spa out here in Bali. It's called Ammo Spa. And I was at the gym literally an hour before that. And I remember last week I was in the spa. I went into the ice bath and I was going through this pain as I was sitting in the ice bath. It was only, I think it was maybe 10 degrees Celsius, which is actually quite cold when you're immersing your whole body in it, right? And I was holding it for two minutes and I was freezing and I could feel pain in certain parts of my muscles, right? But then, you know, I had to finally get out. I couldn't take it anymore. It's a mindset thing. And then when I went to the gym today, I noticed I was putting myself pretty much through the same level of pain, but I was choosing to do that. And it was funny when I hopped in the ice bath, I realized I was like, yes, I was choosing to immerse, but I wasn't choosing which muscles I wanted to, to hurt or not. And so I had to like sit through it and go, you know what? I put myself through the other pain. Now I'm reversing it and going through and helping it to recover now and to, to rebuild. And it was such a mental challenge for me to do that. And I actually liked it. Like I, I got a kick out of it because it felt like, you know, I was choosing to, to go through this like, sacrifice of being comfortable for the sake of creating a new growth in my life and, and, uh, and a new self. Right. And I feel like that even if the word suffering isn't the right one for it, it would be that you kind of letting go of the old as you're stepping into the new. And I think that what works really well when uh, I'm going through these processes just to share this with you is that I feel like if I keep thinking about the outcome all the time that I want, I get too attached to that and then your expectations can go down. But I go back to the source of what is the identity of what I, who I would like to be and that I'd like to hold in order to do this. And I like that you mentioned before that, uh, you know, you said that when you go in and run track or you go into gym, you say, I'm an athlete, which goes back to the identity of what you're creating, right? Well, identity is so key because it's, you know, and I learned this from Tony Robbins. You know, I, I, he says that, you know, identity is the, or the strongest force in the human personality is the need to remain consistent with how you define yourself. Uh, in yeah. other words, you, your identity. Now, if I ask the question, well, why do vegetarians not eat meat? Uh, is it because they have different teeth? Is it because they have a different <laughs> digestive system? Uh, well, of course not. Mm. It's because their identity is I am a vegetarian. Right. Now, the reason they became vegetarian is, is varied and many and individual, and that's okay. But once they have that identity, that governs their behavior. They're not resisting eating meat anymore. It's just not what they do. Yet why do runners run? Because they're runners. They have the same two legs and two arms and biochemistry as you and I have. But if they don't run for a week, they get all angsty. Why? Because it's their identity. So, right. And that works both ways. If you have the identity of a victim, I've got news for you. You're going to be seeking out suffering and defining yourself, getting secondary gain of, of sympathy and connection and woe is me and, and connecting with other victims in order to justify your identity. But the second you break out of that and say, no, I'm not a fucking victim. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah, I say I'm, I'm an athlete in life's gym. Yeah, I'm, I'm a winner. I'm, yeah, I'm somebody who stands for what they believe in and makes no apologies for that. Yeah, whatever it is, as soon as you define yourself, your behavior will fall out of that in alignment and it will become effortless. That's why if you smoke 
and you try to quit smoking and you adopt the identity of a smoker who's quit, you'll always go back to smoking most of the time because your identity is, I'm a smoker. Oh, but I'm using willpower to quit. And that has a time limit. But if you adopt the identity of a non-smoker and somebody offers you a cigarette, it's effortless to say no because you're a non-smoker. You don't smoke. And so identity plays a massive part. And most of us never question that. We just adopt mindlessly the labels that society impose on us with custom um, you know, sort of designed identities that have been, you know, we didn't get to vote on. Yeah. Oh, and, and there's a lot of that about, oh, I'm a father. So I act this way. I'm a brother. I act that way. I'm an employee. I'm, a, I'm a, an employer. I'm a podcaster. Right. I'm a, I'm, I'm a whatever. So identities govern a lot. But when was the last time you sat down and designed the identity that empowered you rather than disempowered you? Yes. Yes. One thing that helped me to really break through my procrastination was I changed it from I'm a procrastinator to I'm a producer. And I just keep flipping the script, flipping it back over to, okay, I know that this shows up sometimes, but more than anything, I produce. That I don't sit, I don't wait, I don't make excuses, I produce, even if it's tough, even if it's just going to require for me 30 seconds to get a start. Like I, I keep, and it's helped really well. Let's talk about this, Peter. I think this is so timely, you know, as we're in 2019 right now. Uh, let's talk about reinventing yourself. Like if the audience right now, the listeners of yours could hear this and get a pet, a pad and a pen out, uh, what could they start writing down? What exercise would you challenge them to do in order to start reinventing themselves in a way that is going to be more fulfilling and uh, more productive? Well, the, the first thing to do really Joe, is to understand the power of questions. See questions are the steering wheel of the mind. And if you ask better questions, you're going to start getting better answers because your brain is like a Labrador. You, know, you throw a question out like a stick, it's going to go fetch it. It's going to go fetch the answer. That's its job. And if you ask lousy questions, it doesn't care. Its job is to fetch the stick. So you, know, you say, you know, why does my life suck? Or why is this happening to me? You know, why do I always you know, um, you know, uh, have girls leave me? Why do, I, you know, uh, why do people always rip me off? You know, why is the weather so bad? You know, whatever it is, if you're asking lousy questions, the brain will figure an answer out because you were born unlucky, because you're a schmuck, because your teacher said you'd never amount to anything, because your mother didn't love you, whatever it'll be, it'll find an answer. It's its job, even if it has no basis in actuality or reality. So asking better questions, if you're to get a pen and paper now, ask better questions. Who am I really? What do I stand for? What am I not willing to compromise my values on? What are 10 things about me that I love about myself? You know, what, what is it I most admire in others that I would aspire to that if I look deep enough, I'd be able to find inside myself today? They're, they're empowering questions. And that will set you up for, for winning rather than setting yourself up to lose or worse, be at the default mercy of how society wants to program you, which is pretty much in line with mediocrity going 90 miles an hour to nowhere. Yes. If you're listening right now, make sure that you rewind this back and take note, write these questions down and answer them because this, this development of more self-awareness, it's going to change the game for you. And Peter, thank you so much for sharing those questions. They're really powerful. Really powerful. So, Peter, I want, to dive, I want to dive into this. I think this is really interesting. You came out of prison not long ago. <laughs> so, so tell, us, tell us, how did you get there in the first place? And what did you learn while you were in prison? Because I think this is actually, this is very unique. <laughs> it certainly wasn't. I didn't see it coming. In fact, it was two years ago yesterday that I got sentenced. And, uh, and I was, this is a non-criminal. You know, I've never been arrested. I've never been accused of a crime. And I still don't have a criminal record. 
but I went to jail for six months. And, uh, wow. and it was the on only way in English law that this could happen. And what it was, I was fighting a civil action against a major multinational company, which you know, I, uh, is a, a $140 billion IT firm that I'd done some business with six years before when I was living in Dubai. I bought $12.5 million worth of goods. I'd paid for it in full. I'd resold it. And I, hadn't told, I didn't tell them I was going to resell it. And yeah, I didn't you know, have a contract saying I couldn't. They took umbrage at that and they sued me for 17 million, which was the difference in price between the retail value and the wholesale value. And I'm like, you're absolutely oh, wow. having a laugh. There is no way on the planet. Any, any judge in a civil court would look at that and not laugh it out in five minutes. And I learned a lot about how you know, the court system <laughs> works. <Yeah. clears> and if you're in business, That's you need it. to understand that you know, litigation is a tool. It's a chess game. And I knew it would never get to court and it never got to court. But six months later, they sued me for contempt by saying that I breached the freezing order that they'd managed to obtain. And I looked at their argument. I thought, absolutely no way would that would fly. They're trying to twist context. They're trying to distort facts. And you know, I'll explain that in five minutes. I didn't give it much credibility. I didn't realize how much of a setup it was. They sold it to the judge. He gave me six months for contempt. And uh, I got... Uh, as a civil prisoner, I should have been in kind of a, you know, an open, cushy, holiday camp-based prison. They sent me to Pentonville, which is the most violent, uh, most um, uh, pretty much the, the worst uh, rundown prison in Europe. And, yeah, and I was meant to be there for a couple of days before being transferred. Because of how bad the system is, I was there for four and a half months before spending the last six weeks in more of a, a sort of open prison. Oh, wow. And, <clears throat> and I, I have to say, uh, I mean, I, I learned I learned a lot about my ego in court as well because I was there and I, I took the wrong approach. You know, I was there to basically attack what I, the other side and what I thought they were doing wrong, rather than to explain to the court the, the misperception. And, uh, and my my representation was just abysmal in terms of my my professional legal representation was just it was almost like they're working for the other side. But that aside, that that's a lower level of looking at it. The higher level of looking at it is really what changed the game and turned this into one of the most incredible and awe-inspiring adventures I've ever had the privilege of living. And that is be, as, as it was starting to go south. And I turned around to my partner at the time and I said to, um, to her, I says, this isn't going the way we thought. And she's like, well, no, I mean, what, why? I'm, you know, I could even go on holiday here, right? And I says, well, look, yeah, I've learned a long time ago not to fight the bends of the river. You, know, you put your best foot forward, you sail the current as best you can. You know, this isn't apathy and, oh, I'll just let it take me where it takes. No, I'm proactive. Uh, I'm a proactive sailor, but I don't resist the bends of the river because fighting the current is stupid. Learning how to sail better in the current uh, that you're in is better. So I says, look, you know, I'm very blessed that you know, over the last 20 years, millions of people around the world have, have benefited in some way from my work. But maybe the people that could benefit the most never get to see it because they're in somewhere like prison. Maybe the universe wants to send me in there in order to go do my work. And if so, honey, let me go do it. And I never for one second, we talked about identity. We never, I never for one second, Joel, had the identity of a prisoner, not for a microsecond. Right. I, went, I went into that experience as a secret agent of change. Mm, I like that. And I'm very pleased to say that, you know, I, I, from the moment I walked down the steps, I was on a mission and you know, I ended up, um, 
getting a lot of people off drugs, stopping suicides. I won national award for the work that I was doing in there. I you know, fundamentally shifted the, the mindset of the intake system, which is now being rolled out across prisons across the world. Um, uh, and every, every two weeks, I wrote to my, my private high-level coaching groups and my coaching clients. And basically saying, listen, you know, from the first letter, it was like, look, you know, I don't know why I'm here in terms of like, you know, I, I didn't see this coming, but what an incredible opportunity for you guys to follow along on what I call a graduation event. And we all have these. A graduation event is where life will test you to see if you can walk the talk rather than just you know, talk about it. Yeah, there's yeah. Difference, yeah. So you know, if you're a health coach, expect to have a health challenge so you can demonstrate that you can get over it. Now, if you're a relationship coach, expect to have a problem with your marriage so that you can demonstrate that what you teach, you can live. Yeah, so this was, for me, very simple, a graduation event. Yeah, I've been speaking you know, and talking a good positive game for, for a long time. Yeah, so what are you going to do? Okay, yeah, I lost my business. I went from 53 staff to three staff in three weeks. I, got, I thought I was going to lose my home. I got saddled with hundreds of thousands in legal debt and yeah, lost pretty much everything, thrown into jail. And, you know... I went in there with a smile and I went in there to create magic and I took my coaching clients along on this, on these letters. And at the end of the six months, uh, there was 11 letters that I wrote and I came out and they said, wow, we've learned more in these 11 letters than you know, we've learned in the last two years following you around the world. You have to <laughs> yeah, you've got to publish these. And I'm like, well, they weren't meant for the public. I, I yeah, this is high level stuff. And it was for you guys. And it says, but this will change lives. And I'm like, well, that's my mission. So last year we published the letters and it's just the letters. There's no edits. And this is unique because it's unfolding in real time. This isn't written after the event. And I'm yeah, very pleased to say it. It made the bestseller list in two hours. It went to Amazon number one in four hours. It sold to 25 countries on the first day. And if you look at the reviews, I think it's changed the lives of virtually everybody that's read it. And I'm, I'm very, very humbled by that. And, and just, you know, a classic example of, you know, going into an event and try to turn it around the best you can. Wow, mate. Congratulations to just flip it on its head and to just pull the gems out of it and then to share that with the world. That's, that's very impressive. You should be proud Thank of you. yourself. That's, that's amazing. Wow. Now, yeah. I can't wait to get my hands on that book and we can get it from Amazon, right? Yeah, it's, uh, it's called The Inside Track and uh, it's available on Amazon, um, hardback, paperback, Kindle, iBooks, uh, Audible. In fact, I do the recording on Audible as well. So um, um, with uh, some, uh, I had a really good top level sound engineer. We engineered sound effects, original scores in there as well. It's, it's quite the journey because I really wanted to communicate mm -hmm. how I wanted to say it. So, uh, but yes, I, I mean, again, I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of other things I could have learned. I'm sure there's things I could have done better, but you know, uh, did, did I pass my graduation event? Well, that, that's between me and the examiner, but I, I'm, I'm, I'm okay with what I did. Let's, let's put it that way. I'm, I'm, it could have gone a lot worse. <laughs> I mean, For that, sure. yeah, I mean, three deaths in one week was the worst week I was in Pentonville. Oh, wow. Attempted murders, you know, almost you know, a regular occurrence. Blood on the floor daily. I mean, this, is, this, this wasn't a holiday camp. This was, you know, I was in there with some of the most serious violent criminals on the planet. You know, terrorists, you know, arsonists, murderers, rapists, and, and everything in between. And, mm. uh, and yeah, what, what, it, what an absolutely incredible opportunity to, to go and, and, you know, not be on stage, no cameras, no second takes, just you, your tool set, and go see if it works. And that's really the attitude I went in with. Oh, I love that. So Peter, if you could say that there's one major thing that you took from it, what would that be to share with the audience right now? It never ha matters what happens to you in life. It only matters what you do with it.
You know, your, your environment never defines you. It only ever gives you the ability to define yourself. Wow. Huh? Wow. That's empowering. That's really empowering. And, and you do hear stories like this. I remember hearing a story of a uh, prisoner of war and he was thrown into a drain and water will come up every day. And he just imagined himself playing golf with his friends and just mind over matter, mind over matter to try and keep his breath. And, <laughs> And to hear like what you've gone through, we're just seeing this, this brutality and being around it all and then still keeping your identity intact. It's uh, yeah, that's, that's a lot of effort and uh, congratulations. That's amazing that you've come out of it still with this frame of mind with positivity and this optimistic view on life and that you've been able to really make it something great for the world to learn from. So kudos to you. Oh, thank you. And it was, it was, it was an absolutely incredible and, and awe-inspiring adventure. And, and, you know, I, I wouldn't swap a second it for the world. I have zero regrets. And you know, when I went in, obviously, I mean, I think we just spent you know, a lot of money on, on selling tickets to my business school, which obviously got canceled. And, you know, my, my coaching program was halfway through that, that, that current phase. And you know, it was obviously, you, you couldn't have thrown a bigger spanner in, in the business works. And when I came out, I had literally nothing. All the money got spent. I was saddled with, you know, a ton of legal debt. And, my only emphasis was how do I honor the obligations to the people that had, you know, had, had bought products or whatever. And, uh, and that was 18 months ago and December just gone a few weeks ago. Uh, I managed to fulfill the final obligations with a trip to Africa for my master circle, which you know, everybody ordered product, bought tickets, bought events, got them delivered. And, uh, and now I'm, I'm, I'm on a fresh start to go and create some new magic and, and really happy that you know, it all turned out. Uh, that's fantastic. Yeah, that means you've got a good heart. You know, a lot of people could just walk away from it and say, well, this is what I went through. I don't owe you anything. But at, at the bottom of it all, you've got a great heart to, to serve and uh, you can't deny that. So, well, they, they, held, they held the space for me. And that, that was mm. so humbling. I, I got letters, yeah, 20, 30 letters a day sometimes from people I'd never met from countries I'd never been to of support saying thank you. That, yeah, Cause nobody knew I'd, I'd not given any context. Nobody really knew what was going on. It's like, Oh my God, Pete's been right. put in jail for something to do with a $17 million fraud. I'm like, are you kidding me? Uh, and by the way, as, as soon as I came out, all of that, all of those allegations got withdrawn. Wow. You know, wow. It's, you were it's, meant to be in there. You were meant to be in there for sure. 100%. And you come out with so much from it. And, yeah, I, I love this because I know that there's somebody that's listening to this right now that's probably going through, I, I didn't say probably, they, they are. I'm sure there's somebody listening to this that needs to hear it because they're going through something right now. So you're, you're a testament to the fact that we can get through it. You know, we can there's, always get there's, there's always a way. There's always a way. And most of the time, a lot of the stress comes from us being too busy, being focused on ourselves and the fact that the outer world that we perceive doesn't match the inner world of what we think it should look like and the fastest way out of that is to focus on what you can contribute not on what you can try to manipulate in the outer world to fit your pictures mm, this is interesting you know i find a lot of people that i work with come in with a lot of fear mm -hmm. they're worried about money they're worried about time they think they think they don't have enough energy how do we knock this on the head? Well, <clears throat> a lot of that ties in because, you know, if you're worried about money and worried about time, uh, uh, two things that are, are usually the result completely of mismanaged imagination, that fear will drain your energy and you won't have the vitality and the sparks. The energy is the product of passionate interest, not Red Bull or calories. 
Yeah, energy <laughs> comes from yeah, you being alive with life, you being on fire with, with being, you being on you know, on purpose with with a mission that's greater than you. That's when it, you, know, you get up early, stay up late, and nobody can talk you out of it. But if you're worried about money, it's usually because you don't understand what money is. Yeah, you're chasing a, a, a conceptual man-made projection of something that doesn't exist in the way that you've been taught. And I say that because money is nothing more than a byproduct or a consequence of adding value. And most people think it's a thing. In other words, they, you, know, you only ever got money or get money or had money last time you received it from doing something or contributing something of value first. And for many people, they're chasing money, which means you're sitting in front of the fire on a cold winter's day saying, listen, yeah, I'm freezing cold. If, I, you know, if you give me some heat and warm me up, then I'll go fetch you some wood. Now, that doesn't work. Now, it's going into the gym saying, listen, give me the strength and I'll lift the weights. That doesn't work. Yeah. Oh, you know, I want to go get some money. No, go focus on adding value and you'll look over your shoulder and money will start coming. But focus on chasing money and you'll chase your tail. And when it comes to time, oh, I see so many people try this time management stuff and, and it will never work because you can't manage time any more than you can manage the current of a river. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's moving. We all have to, We're all in the same river. Yeah, mm. life is moving forward at a you know, at a very pretty steady rate, and yeah, you, know, you can't go down to Walmart and buy three hours off the shelf. It, it ain't gonna happen. So, it's not about managing time. It's about managing your relationship to time. That's where the stress comes from. It's a mismanaged relationship. See, people have a belief that says I don't have enough time. Well, they're already screwed because you can never get more of it. Right. If you have a belief that says time serves me, you have a different relationship to time as an example. Yeah. yeah. Right? And if you have a, 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 a belief around time that yeah, I'll always have the perfect amount of time that I need, then you start questioning where your self-imposed deadlines come from. Oh, I'm trying to get so much done. Why? You'll ultimately come down to the, the usual suspects because I'm, if I get this done, it will give me the certainty that I will you know, have enough money or I will be approved of or I will be, I'll give myself permission to be happy. You see, people that mismanage time are playing the wrong game of life. They are ch spending a lifetime chasing success most commonly, not realizing that there's a big difference between chasing success and chasing fulfillment. And the two yes. operate on different timelines and I'll show you how it works. People that chase success play the game of Feel great when, when I get the new car, when I get the relationship, when I get a million dollars in the bank, when I get fill in the blank. Mm, yeah. People that get on with life and have found the secret to fulfillment play a different game. They play the game of feel great now, irrespective of you know, whether I've got the car yet or not. Because if I feel great now, I can go have fun playing the game of let's go get the car. But if I'm playing the success game of feel great when I get the car, I'm setting myself up for a miserable journey of getting the car. <laughs> I mean, right. am, I the, am I the only one that's seeing this? Come on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's a lot of, uh, I guess, overriding. Would you call it that? Overriding, reprogramming that comes into play because I feel like for some reason, so many people go on that default of, I need to get this in order to feel this way. Not knowing that ultimately anything that's material is going to be temporary. It's a temporary feeling that you eventually adjust to. I mean, we live in this incredible villa here in Bali with a massive pool and a big, 
you know, massive uh, house with pools, uh, a pool table and gym set and, and the whiteboards everywhere. And we're running our business and that. And at the same time, I said to my friend the other day, I said, I think I'm adjusting to this. And I don't like that I'm adjusting. I have to shift into gratitude because it's just like you, you do as humans, we adjust and we, we want this like, you know, I don't have enough. I need more. I need more. But who told us that we don't have enough? You see, when you finally get to the place of, you know, a knowing of, you know, or a realization that, you know, no matter what I've done, no matter what I've not done, I'm worthy of love. You can come to a place of, of being, you know, having equanimity with life. You have nothing to defend, nothing to conquer, nothing to prove. You just show up. Yeah. And for many people, that's so far from their reality because they've been conditioned from a young age to feel that love is conditional based upon doing the right thing. And right. therefore, and they project that in their relationships and wonder why they're, they're dysfunctional. They project that into their you know, sense of self-worth and they then tie it to their net worth and wonder why they'll never feel good enough. And, you know, oh, I've got to make a million and then I'll feel good enough. So what happens? They make a million and then they're still not good enough because they're trying to externally validate something that can only be internally validated. So therefore, oh, I've got to earn two million now in case I lose the first and it goes on. So, you know, it to get to a place where, and you realize you're, you were born okay. Start from there. You need nothing, added nothing to you in order to validate who you are. And nobody had the right to tell you you weren't good enough. And if they did, it, the impact's only lasting if you choose to believe it. And talking of choice, uh, if, if you say, oh, I'll get the car and then I feel great. What you're really saying, if you, if you language it correctly, and therefore hopefully get an insight into the, the ludicrousy of it, you're saying, when I get to you know, the top of Success Mountain, however you define that, then I will give myself permission to feel the feelings that I currently have access to, but I'm denying myself until I fit the rules around what I think the top of Success Mountain should look like. And when you, see it, you know, when you see it from that perspective, it's like, hang on a minute, who made those rules up? <laughs> You're so right. I love that. that. I love that you shared this, Peter, because I know so many people that I work with struggle with this waiting 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 then i can feel good no. and the challenge is you, yeah if, if you get to the top of success mountain with that mindset you're going to want to jump off because you'll realize it ain't there either true that yeah yes. feel feel great now or don't that's it that's the binary equation of joy yeah? feel great now mm -hmm. or it won't happen not feel great when. Feel great when doesn't work. It's a game most people have been playing their whole life and they'll go to their grave without a smile on their face because they'll finally realize that, whoa, hang on a minute. I, I kind of missed, uh, missed the game here. The, the richest man in the graveyard doesn't work. You know, I, I, never, I never got to that place. But feeling great now, wow, that's a different life. And whether it means you've got an illness diagnosis, whether you've got a, a prison sentence, whether you've got a, a, you know, a loss of a loved one or a relationship breakdown, now, there's always something you can do to shift your ground of being from being victimized to being empowered. Now, I, I wrote a, a short story while I was in there because I wanted to, I really wanted to try to impact more of the prison. And, uh, and this is the story I, I won the award for. And because it got so many people off drugs. In fact, there's a, some of the letters in the back of the book I, I actually reprinted and published that I got from not only the, the prisoners, but the prison officers, even the governors uh, that sort of validate the work that I was doing. But I wrote a story and it was called Mud or Stars. And it was taken after the old adage that two men sat behind prison bars, one saw mud, the other saw stars. And 
it, it really it's a short story but it follows kind of a person coming to jail for the first time and he's angry and upset and he, he happens to sit next to this wise old mentor you know, sort of old con while in the processing room and they have this conversation and it kind of really shifts and takes this guy on a journey and it was it was it had a an amazing impact in fact uh, one of the prison officers wrote that it shifted 60 to 70 percent of the entire prison that instead of the usual you know uh, yeah, negative speak and grunts and complaining and violence. They were shouting to each other, mud or stars, to try to cheer themselves up across the wings. Wow. Wow. How impactful. Yeah. So it's, uh, there's always a way. I don't care what your story is. We've all got one. You know, I know what it's like to lose both parents. I know what it's like to you know, have nothing. I know what it's like to you know, be upset. And, uh, it's, uh, we're made of the same stuff, but we're in the gym. And we've all been given our individually unique tailored workouts that are there to test our weak spots, to build them up, to be stronger, to give our gift to the world so we can live the life we were born to live. Case closed. Mm. Drop the mic. <laughs> that, was, that was great, Peter. Oh, I love it. I love it. Peter, we could end this interview right now and there'd just be so much value for everyone that's listening and there would be so many notes, I'm sure. I want to just carry on for a little bit more because I really sure. feel like you've got so much depth in what you teach and I really want people to understand this is, what is it, three decades now of really living this space of self-development, building business, uh, really getting out there in the world. Would you say three decades now? Well, I was, um, I was 17 when I started my first business and I, was, you know, I dropped out of school at 16. And uh, I was 17 when I first uh, picked up or got introduced to personal growth. And I'm, I'm 47 this year, so that's 30 years this year. And, uh, and for the first you know, at least 10 years, most of it was driven by the insecurities of trying to prove myself to the world as a young man, you know, with all of the usual you know, crap trying to be you know, significant. You know, I bought my first Ferrari for cash at 25 you know, and I felt great for about nine minutes. You know, I've, you know, I was flying <laughs> Concorde and five-star hotels and all that in my 20s and, and all uh, stressed out of my mind, massively unfulfilled, desperately trying to get acceptance. And, and I realized something. Uh, and this is this is a this was a, a big part for me, uh, and I'll, I'll share it because I think it'll add a lot of value to the people listening, especially if you still have the remnants of what I call living in goop. You know that good opinion of other people, even if it's unconscious, which is what we live ninety five percent of the time. Yeah, uh, only five percent of the time we we can take conscious control of our thoughts. So, if if the mind is like a compass needle, it can only point in one direction at a time. Now, you can't point it to a thought of gratitude and a thought of anger at the same time. They don't live in the same room. So if you, know, if you are consciously grabbing that needle and pointing it towards positivity, that's great. But for 95% of the time, as soon as you take you know, your hand off the, the, the needle, it's going to swing back to where it's defaultly been programmed to, which is why we self-sabotage a lot. And yeah, so how do you get out of that? How do you reprogram that? Well, goop is a, a nasty, sticky mess to swim in. So what really helped me break out of that pattern that I had in my 20s was when I finally realized the truth. And, I'll, you know, and I say the truth with the capital T and the, the ultimate truth is we don't know the damn truth. You know, let's, let's, let's give up our association to what we think is right. It's only a belief and a belief is only a feeling of certainty about something. And the first belief you should always question is the one you're most certain about. You know, I'm, I'm open to that. But this seems to be true for me consistently. So until a better belief comes along, I'm, I'm happy to adopt it and I'll share it with you. And I'll use it through a metaphor I think people can understand. We all star in the movie of our life. Yeah. And I know that because every person is the only person that's in every scene of their movie. Right. And 
as the star of our movie, everybody else plays usually one of two roles. Either, if they're lucky, you know, you know, a supporting cast, maybe a partner, spouse, you know, sibling, you know, boss, what, what have you. But 99% of people in your movie are only ever going to be film extras. That's it. And a film extra you know, has no thought of you when you leave, you know, they leave your scene. Now, the challenge, Joel, is this. As the star in our movie of our life, we make the fundamentally flawed and psychologically fatal mistake of thinking that everybody else sees us as the star in our movie. Mm. But of course, they don't. Because right. guess, what, guess what movie they're starring in? <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> uh -huh. Which by definition means we play one of two roles, most likely that of film extra. So the reality of life is this, and if I could ask the, you know, the listeners to tattoo one phrase on the inside of their eyelids, it would be this. Most people don't care enough about you to bother to give an opinion of you because they're too busy being worried about what they think you're thinking of them. Welcome to reality. Oh, that's hot. That's, that's, that's something to hold for the rest of your life. Because the, re the alternative is, oh, I think that you're seeing me as the star in my movie, so I better act as a star because you're judging me as the star. They're not judging you. They don't give a crap about you 99% of the time. What they <laughs> care about is, oh, my God, I'm the star in my movie. I wonder what Joel thinks of me. Mm. That's what they're thinking all the time. And when you finally break out of that and you realize that everyone's walking around in their own movie star bubble, thinking that everybody else is an extra in their movie, looking at them as the movie star, when everybody else is walking around in their own movie star bubble, thinking that everybody else is looking at them as the star. <laughs> right. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. And we compare quite a lot, right? Like, oh, what is that person doing that I, instead of focusing on what can I actually do with my own life to get to the level that I desire, we're looking at everybody else's forgetting yeah, that we all have our own individual lane and the name of the game is whoever stays in the lane the longest wins yeah well you're yeah forget everybody else's lane you you signed up for your movie you've got your script your job is to act the best that you can act in every scene of your movie to win your academy award end of story now and i actually wrote that in, in my first letter that i wrote in the inside track yeah i actually wrote to my clients that says hey guys Right, don't worry about me. I'm simply on location for six months filming the prison scene in my movie. <laughs> yeah. And that's yeah. it. And if, and if you take an ex that as a metaphor and, and you look at that in real life, you take Daniel Craig in, in James Bond. Now, for a start, nobody wants to pay good money to go to a cinema and watch James Bond rescue a kitten out of a tree for 90 minutes, right? <laughs> right. right. You're not going to go pay to watch that movie again. I'm sorry, right? So what, what do you want? You want a great movie. You want, you want a movie that contains everything. And what does a great movie have? It has everything. It has drama and it has intrigue and it has comedy. It has tragedy. It has romance. You want to walk out of that cinema exhausted mostly and say, wow, now that was a movie. I would pay to watch that again. And if I'm lucky enough to, to be able to comment on the final scene in my movie whenever I check out of this game yeah, and go pick up another script somewhere is, wow, now that was a movie. Now that's what I want to be able to say at the end of this game. Not like, oh wow, managed to get through that without anything happening, right? Which is how most people yeah. lift their script. <laughs> exactly. Do you want it to be a B grade or C grade movie or you want it to be a blockbuster? That's a question. And, and not just that, but let's take again the acting metaphor. If Daniel Craig looks at the script 
there's going to be scenes in there where he's in bed with a Victoria's Secret model, and yeah, and he's happy about those kind of scenes. Yeah, there's some of the perks of the job. Good old James Bond, right? Now, <laughs> there's also uh -huh. scenes where he's on location in the Arctic under the ice, rescuing, uh, sorry, or, or wrestling with a bad guy, yeah, uh, in a dry suit, and you know, with you know, stuntmen and frogmen all around him, and he's away from his family. He's freezing cold. His job as a professional actor is to show up as the best he can in both of those kinds of scenes. And yeah, sure, I would love to have been back on stage or doing podcasts or you know, giving my gift. But no, I was under the ice wrestling the baddie. You know, I was in prison. I was doing what I do. But I'm a professional actor in the movie of my life. My job is to show up as best I can no matter what the scene. And that was my attitude going in. Mm. This is so profound. I think a lot of people that are listening to this right now, I know I am just like sitting there and going, wow, how is my movie so far? And how do I show up in the scenes of, of my life? And like, just really like soaking it in and going, how can I do this even better? I think that's just such an awesome thought for some people, maybe sobering, right? Because they've, they've probably lived in a bit of a fantasy of it all, but really like each and every day you get to choose where you live emotionally each and every day you get to choose who you surround yourself with. Like we get to do this. This is the gift of life. 100%. Yeah, you're, you're co-creating the script with the people that are, that are around you, your directors, producers, you know, that, that your higher self, whatever you want to call it. I, I don't care about the labels, but uh, Einstein uh, had it down. He, he's, he said that the most empowering question a person can ask in their lifetime is do they or do they not live in a friendly universe? Because... You know, if you have the default mentality of, yeah, you know, like me, I, I'm, I'm a, a reverse paranoid, you know, an inverse paranoid. I, I believe the entire universe is involved in a hidden conspiracy to make me happy and successful. Right? Oh, I like that. <clears throat> now, if you come from a Darwinian mentality, you know, the old outdated Newtonian paradigm, which we now know is just invalid. I mean, just go study digital physics these days. Yeah. They'll, 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 they'll tell you that matter is not matter. Materialists, you know, it, it's gone. It's a hundred year old model. Get with the program, guys. You know, mm -hmm. as, the great, as the great Feynman said, science currently progresses one funeral at a time and one day they'll wake up. But if you, <laughs> yeah, if you adopt the Darwinian sort of survival of the fittest mentality, you're fear-based by design because everything out there is separate from me. I'm having to protect myself. Yeah, it could, yeah, everything with teeth can eat me. The universe is out to get me. I'm trying to, yeah. And you're gonna be looking at life through the lens of a fear-based mentality, and that will translate and transcend down into all of your other belief systems. Yeah, uh, you'll be wary. You'll, you won't have the courage to embrace the uncertainty that is required to go through the levels of life to the higher levels of greatness. And, yeah, you, you'll, you'll be stuck on the couch, most likely in victim mode, or at best trying to force your will onto life, which is damned exhausting. That's what I did throughout my whole 20s, trying to prove to the world. And I got news for you, you know, if, if, <laughs> I, I gave up fighting reality quite a long time ago because the son of a bitch kept winning. And <laughs> you can't tell the river where to wind. You can influence yeah. yourself. You can choose which river you want to be in, but it's a nonlinear process. Yeah, go with the flow. And so if you think that the universe has your back, which I did, I was convinced that I was being sent to prison for a reason. So I didn't feel danger. Yeah. And there was violence all around me. Not for a second did I exude levels of fear. And I write about this and, and how I did it and why, because it's not some superhuman. You know, I've got a long time of being able to have the right belief system consciously. 
An athlete is an athlete because they spend a lot of time in the gym. And you know, you're not going to get fit in one workout. So you know, if somebody's had a lifetime of fear, don't expect suddenly to adopt a positive mental attitude that's going to solve all your problems. It's work in progress, and that's okay. Don't, don't beat yourself up. But you know, to start the journey, the direction of travel is what's most important here. Not having to arrive at some mythical destination of utopian existence where you don't have any fear anymore. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I love this, Peter. You're really bringing it back into a realistic point of view with some practical, tangible steps that we can take. And I, I just love this because, you know, a lot of uh, the conversations that we're having is very conceptual and that's it. Whereas I like the fact that you bring this in, you use great analogies and you also get us to challenge ourselves through great questions. So if you're listening right now, please take notes and action this. Right? This is where the change happens, not just cognitively understanding it, but feeling it on a cellular level and really getting that wisdom into your body and into your mind. So, uh, Peter, another thing I want to jump into before we wrap up the call, because I think this is really important. I think a lot of people are going to relate to this. Uh, I do get a lot of people that struggle with uh, building a, a powerful relationship. And I know that recently you were running an event uh, on relationships. So, what would you say are maybe two to three points that you would really love to share with the audience uh, when it comes to creating a powerful relationship? Uh, I'm, uh, I'm smiling because, uh, yeah, everybody, everybody wants the secrets of relationships in five minutes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I know it's a big call, man. I believe you can do it. <laughs> is it what, one of the first things to understand is, again, yeah, the, the purpose of a relationship is not to make you happy. If you believe that, you're in Disneyland. And that's unfortunately the imposition that we go in with a relationship uh, uh, or we go into a relationship with the expectations that the other person's job is to make us happy. And if that's the case, I got news for you. Yeah, that's, you know, good, good luck. Because if you realize that the purpose of a relationship is essentially for you to learn about what your disowned parts are. You're going to attract somebody that, you know, once the, the, the biochemical happy dance has, has sort of you know, passed its, uh, its, you know, its time, they're going to trigger your insecurities. They're going to hold up a mirror for you to see your own disowned parts. And that's just, it's a growth-centric experience. And certainly in relationships, is far more of an intense crucible of, of, of learning than, than the gym of life because it's where we're – we're most vulnerable. It's where we share our deepest secrets. It's where we feel judged the most by the person we most want to love us. So if you're going in with the expectation of a relationship is there to make me happy, then uh -uh, that's not going to happen. It's a growth. It's a, it's a co-growth centric experience where one plus one can equal 11 if you allow it to. And if, if you also know that for me, I, my kind of relationship, and I talk about this in, in, in the book a bit as well, yeah, and, and it's funny because my most popular straight talk, my most popular download is, is on relationships. And um, uh, it's to understand that yeah, you have absolutely no right to impose your model of the world rules yeah, onto somebody else. You can make an invitation. You can make a request. And you can come from a place of wanting to add value, contribute, and serve. But we outlawed slavery a long time ago. You don't own anyone. Whether there's a signature on a piece of paper that you call a validated marriage, it doesn't matter. You don't own anybody. You've got no right to impose your rules, expectations on anybody else. If you come to a relationship with a higher level of consciousness, then you come from a place of how do I serve? Yeah, how do, how do I light up my partner? 
Yeah, how, how, do I, how do I find out what's there, not what can I take? Um, uh, and this is just a very base grounding level before we get into some deeper stuff. But it's really the fundamental starting point when you start to realize and understand that you know, a relationship is not designed to make me happy. It's not designed to, to, to make me not be lonely. If you're getting into a relationship because you're lonely, I've got news for you. You're probably going to attract somebody else who's lonely. And now you're going to be in a relationship where there's two people that are lonely. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, nobody can ever love you more than you love yourself. And when you really own that awareness, you really see the game of what relationships is about. Yes. Whoa. You're giving us some straight talk right now, Peter. <laughs> <laughs> I like this. So you, you don't own someone. You don't force models of reality. I, I like this. I really like this. I think that uh, some people are wounded and it's the ego meeting the ego at times. And we, we don't give ourselves enough time to really get centered back to who we are, to work out who we are. Like, honestly, Peter, I've had to learn this myself. You know, oh, I, I was going from relationship to relationship and, and thinking that the next one's going to be different. But it wasn't really because I was still showing up the same way as I was in the previous ones. I've, I, uh, there's an old saying that, you know, if everybody you meet is an idiot, maybe it isn't them. <laughs> that's, that's very sobering. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and, and it's, it's part of the game. You know, there's so many people that have different, you know, the same relationship with different people. Uh, and uh, and that's, that's a sign that, you know, what am I here to learn? What am I not doing? And yeah, it's, it, it is, it's just, it's just part of the game. You know, don't, don't beat yourself up and relationships take its course. You know, sometimes you live in a house for a long time and you know, there's nothing wrong with a house, but it's time to move house. Yeah, a lot of people are with the same person be, for the only reason, because they were with them yesterday and right. you know, you'll get escalating feedback on that from life that that's not the, the journey. And I'm also a great believer that you know, two people should be able to play incredible music on their own. Yeah, if you're if you're a violin and you meet somebody else who's a violin, you guys make great music individually and you can be a harmony and a symphony together. But if you get to a point where, oh, I need you, I can't live without you. In other words, I'm now the violin and you're the bow, then you've got a dysfunctional situation. You need to have some time apart to rediscover who you are and your own greatness before coming back to the table. Yes, 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 yes. I agree with all this. And I think that... Uh, this is a message that needs to be heard. I love the analogy for that. Peter, I feel like we've covered pretty much every area of life in this conversation, <laughs> it, it, which is good. Cause I, you know, I think that really the topic of this conversation is how to reinvent yourself in every area of your life. And, uh, one of the areas I, I feel like we may not have really jumped into was, uh, health. Mm-hmm. So when it comes to health, uh, cause I know that you can go there. I know that you can go in many different directions with it. Uh, what would you say would be an area of health that you feel within your experience of really just optimizing your life? Where have you really felt massive benefits? Well, I mean, uh, the, the starting point I'll say to people listening here is that, you know, if you don't make time for health, you will have to make time for illness. That is a binary equation and it's inescapable. Yeah. That there are certain mm-hmm. games in life that are non-negotiable, that you are playing by the very definition of being in life. In fact, there's only three games. Everything else is optional. You've got the relationship game. Yeah? You can't not play the relationship game if you're in modern society. And yeah? we're social creatures. We're not designed to be on a mountain on our own. Right? We, we, we will literally die. Uh, the money game, you've got to master the money game or it'll master you. That's, that's it. Just again, 21st century reality. It's a game you have to learn how to play. And if you're not smart or you don't make a conscious choice to learn how to become a master of money, then it, you're going to be a victim to it. 
The third game that's non-negotiable is the health game. You're either playing the health game on your terms or it will play you and that ain't the destination you want to go down. So everything else optional. You can play the personal growth game, the parent game, the enlightenment game, the, the religion game, whatever it is. Yeah, that, they're all optional. But those three games aren't. And so when it comes to health, yeah, you really need to yeah, uh, understand the primacy of it first. Uh, and then the, the, there's three different levels of health. We won't get into it too much here, but obviously the, the, the base level is physical health. Most people focus predominantly on that. Um, and you know, I can chunk that into three very simple you know, categories to make it easy because it's such a minefield to get into in, in today's commercially you know, biased agendas of you know, yeah, everyone trying to you know, force their, their you know, thoughts on you. But health, yeah. you can physical health, I'll chunk it into three categories. At one, stop putting the wrong things in, right? Two, start putting the right things in. Three, get whatever is in there that shouldn't be in there out. Everything else will fall into one of those three categories. <laughs> I like yeah. the simplicity of that. Yes. And then when it, and it comes to exercise, again, you, know, you understand that the body is designed to move. It's designed to have motion. It's designed to be physically fit. It's not designed to sit hunched over a computer or sat on a car or sat on a couch. So yeah, there is going to be a certain amount of um, uh, resistance initially especially if you don't have the physical energy because you're too mentally exhausted from living through a fear-based model of the world. But you know, do something. I mean, walking, getting in fresh air and sunshine, if that's all you can do, boom, you're going to feel very different to the person that doesn't do that. You know, drinking quality water. You know, stop poisoning yourself with fluoride and, and chlorine. Uh, it's you know, get, getting a sense of wanting to be healthy by shifting your identity to becoming that of you know, somebody who's vibrant, See, health is, is, is standard. We're born with a genome that has health as standard, unless we do something to screw it up. Yeah? But vitality is different. Yeah? Feeling vital, bursting alive, having your body reject more than six or seven hours sleep because you can't lie in bed because you bounce out with too much gusto is, is a place that very few people get to because they're too busy you know, running on a hamster wheel, you know, grabbing fast food because they're too busy trying to you know, get to the top of Success Mountain and, and all of that stuff. But, you know, health is so paramount. Again, it's a vast subject. Find out what you enjoy. And, and it's, uh, yeah, I'll give you a, a last closing kind of simple analogy here. Imagine there's a scale. And at one end of the scale, you've got you know, vegan Olympic athletes. At the other end of the scale, you've got, you know, couch potato, Hagen dars living off Domino's pizza delivery. You get the idea. Now, most people um, live, unfortunately, if you imagine a center line, more towards the sedentary part of the center line than the athletic part of the center line. For most people, unfortunately, in today's society, from what I see, I try to live more towards the, you know, the athletic side of the center line. Yeah, I'm not a vegan athlete. Yeah, I do have a pizza once in a while. I'm all good with that. But here's the key. If you, it's, it's about where do you live and where do you visit? If you live more on the athletic side of the scale, you can visit Domino's once in a while. It's not going to do anything. But if you live on the couch side of the scale, you can visit the gym once in a while. It ain't going to do anything. So tell yourself, it's not about holding yourself to absolutes because life doesn't work that way. Life you know, doesn't work well with, with absolutes. I will every day, I will do this. Well, yeah, life's got news for you. There ain't going to be a day where you're able to do that apart from breathe. That's the only thing you can put on your to-do list every day. <laughs> be sure about it. Yeah. But 
But if you visit too often, you'll probably start hanging out there and start living there. So yeah, it's not an excuse, but don't beat yourself up. Just choose, where do I want to live? And if that means I want to live more of a healthy lifestyle, then set the intention, change your identity. Yeah, do some smaller things that'll help set you up to win. Now, if you want to get up in the morning and go to the gym, then yeah, put your gym kit at the bottom of the bed so it's ready to step into when you get out of bed. You're setting yourself up to win rather than try to force yourself when it's five in the morning and you, it, your, your emotional state isn't conducive to, to following through. Make sense? Mm, I love that. I like that where you said, where do you live and where do you visit? Because I feel like sometimes people take the fun out of life because they're so like hard left on one side. And I think that it is good to open up the idea that, Hey, it's okay. If I, if I splurge here and there too, you know, so you're not so much in responsibility that there's no reward as well. Feel so, great now, not feel mm -hmm. great. When, when I've been to the gym three times this week, then I'll choose to feel healthy. Well, you know something I choose to feel healthy when I take a deep breath, my rules for feeling healthy are very different mm -hmm. to what most people's are. And they probably have a healthier lifestyle, if you observe it, than me. But their body's in chaos because they're putting way too much more adrenaline. Yeah, they're putting way too much cortisol into their system because they're thinking yeah, negative-based thoughts because they haven't fit their rules for what health has to look like. Mm, yes, absolutely. Peter, before we wrap up this call, uh, for anybody that's listening right now, make sure you go to Amazon. Get your hands on Peter Sage's new book, The Inside Track. Life Lessons from Britain's Toughest Prison. Okay, make sure you get your hands on it. And uh, before we wrap up the call, I've got two quick questions for you and then we'll jump into the final question. Uh, I have a question around your mentors uh, and people that you've aligned yourself with. The first one is you've worked with Tony Robbins for a decade or so. Yeah. What was the biggest thing that you learned from Tony? Really, it was, it was understanding psychology. Yeah, that's... Yeah, Tony, Tony does uh, an amazing job of taking people from a, a victim mentality to an achiever mentality, which is kind of the sweet spot of personal growth. Uh, I tend to focus more on taking people from a, uh, what I call a, uh, an achiever mentality to a flow state mentality where yeah, life is a lot more effortless. Um, but Tony, yeah, Tony taught me the power of identity. He taught me that the primary six human needs, he, he taught me so many things. I'm, I'm very grateful for that. And, uh, and I'll be honest, you know, I, I was a, a, you know, a fairly respected top trainer for Tony for a you know, decade and a half plus. I hardly ever spoke to the guy. Yeah. And uh, he, you know, it, it's interesting that, you know, people think, oh, you hang out with Tony a lot. Well, yeah, I, I travel around the world with Tony for many years. Yeah. Never really had a conversation. Uh, I didn't do what oh, I did for wow. Tony. Yeah. I, I did what I did for the, for the fellow trainers that I, I was, you know, my peer group and the people in the seminars who I made such a difference to that. That's why I did what I did. So it taught me that you don't need proximity. And even if you have proximity, you don't even need connection. Yeah. And there's so many opportunities now on YouTube with books, with autobiographies where you say, oh, I don't have any mentors. Are you kidding? Yeah. I, I hung out with Tony for 15 years and never really spoke to the guy. And I, you know, I still learned a tremendous amount and uh, as much from his podcasts, et cetera. Mm. I like this because I think some people think that they need to, you know, be there already with that person rather than learning from them from a distance. And eventually you get that. The, the funny thing too, that I want to drop in on Peter is I remember 10 years ago, I wrote a 10 year vision for my success, right? For my life. And I wrote down that I was going to meet Tony Robbins and work with Tony. And about ooh, five years in, I was on a film set with Tony and I had interviewed him and uh, we're in a movie together that's coming out actually this year. And, and 
the reason why I share that is because like we're so close to our dreams. We don't know it. Right. Yeah. There's, we're not that far away from achieving the things we want to achieve. And then sometimes when you like say you want something and you get it, you realize you're like, Oh, okay, well that was great. And I did a little like happy dance, but now like life continues and it keeps rolling on. And there's some other things now that I want to achieve. Um, so I like that you took what you did from that and you keep it moving. Uh, another, another mentor I'd like to hear about uh, from your experience uh, is Dan Painter. Cause I know, you know, the $50 billion man, this guy is so controversial at times. Like I love watching his interviews. I love how he, he triggers people. He's very straight talk. Um, but, but at the same time, like the guy's got the stuff to back it up, right? He has so much wisdom and experience. What did you learn from, from Dan? Well, I, I learned a lot from him. Dan and I have known each other for 20 years and um, you know, I've, I've had the privilege of, you know, of hanging out with Dan and, and yeah, staying over at his castle and, and um, yeah, I, I sent him a copy of my book when I, when I came out. Dan, Dan taught me a, a, a lot of things, but I'll share some of the most poignant uh, lessons on there. And the first is perception is reality. Yeah, so many mm -hmm. people um, feel that you know they have to get life looking a certain way, uh, but and until that happens, then it's not. No, perception is reality. You show up confident, right? People perceive you as confident. Their perception is reality. Uh, if you show up, yeah, and and you're um, you think you've oh I've got to wait until this happens in order for it to, to appear. Yeah, that's your perception. That's their reality. Yeah, so right. uh, you pull you pull up in a nice car, they'll think that you know, oh wow, he's doing well. Right? You may have just hired it from Hertz, right? But perception is reality uh, for for many people. And yeah, you perceive to you're going to have a great day. That will be your reality. So yeah, uh, Dan and, and Dan, Dan's very much <clears throat> cut and dry. He's very black and white. Uh, I, you know, I, I, I beat a different drum, drum to Dan. You know, he was great for me at a certain time in my life in terms of, you know, if people need to, to get a stick up their ass and, and, and get on with it, he will provide a, you know, he'll provide a tree trunk, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I've got a lot of respect for Dan. I mean, to, to do what he does at his age with the amount of passion, the amount of commitment and, Although he rubs people the wrong way a lot of the time, which he really doesn't care about. You want to see an example of somebody that doesn't live in goop? <laughs> Dan's the guy. Dan, Dan, Dan and Donald Trump, you know? Uh, <laughs> and so uh, that I got a total amount of respect. But Dan's heart is so big. People don't see this because they see the, you know, the, the guy who's dropping C-bombs and F-bombs and, and, and doesn't give a crap and all the rest of it. But he's got such a heart to want to help the people that he's committed to wanting to helping and Dan sees more in them than they see in themselves. And his way of trying to you know, blossom that is to beat it out of them with a verbal stick. Yeah. And, and that's just his method, but it comes from a place of caring and that I can vouch for. Oh, that's so good. Yeah. It does seem abrasive at times, but uh, he's on a mission, you know, yeah. and uh, the world parts ways for people that are on a mission. I find Damn that right you know, when you're certain in what it is, when you're convicted in your mission, uh, it, it breeds influence. And so on some level, people are influenced because I think secretly so many people want to be able to have that confidence within themselves. Uh, yeah. And, you know, the, the, the truth is that it can be developed. Uh, and it's awesome that you were able to learn some pretty incredible things from, you know, Dan and Tony and a number of other people that you've come across along the years. And thank you for sharing the wisdom that you learned from them with us as well. No, you're welcome. And, and it's a you ripple it effect. There. You know, the, you, the world parts waves for people on a mission. And the caveat to that, I would, uh, or the distinction there that would bring the power in is if it's a mission that's bigger than you, 
Yeah, the yeah. world doesn't part waves if you're all about your egocentrism and what you need to get in order to prove to the world anything. No, make no mm -hmm. apologies. Stand up and go give your gift in order to be able to go, you know, live the greatest you that you can be. And if your mission is bigger than you, now you look at a marathon, look at the New York Marathon. There's more people that run the New York Marathon for the first time that are running for somebody else, that are running for you know, a cause, that are running for um, you know, a... Uh, something that's greater than them, a relative, a charity that get them across the finish line than anybody else that's running it because they want to try and impress somebody in a bar that they ran a marathon. That should tell you everything. Mm, yes, I feel you on that. We have uh, purpose-driven elements in our business. And when we make that the chief aim, we excel in every area financially, performance-wise, even within ourselves because we know that there's a greater cause. And, and I 100% agree. It, it absolutely works. It could be, could be a quick shift. I mean, my vision board, you know, I, I have, for example, you, know, uh, you put a certain car on there. I don't put the dollar amount that's required. I put how many people's lives do I have to change in order for that car to manifest? Yes. Oh, I love that. Yes. So many people are measuring the wrong things. And the thing too, Peter, is we've got social media and people are measuring likes and comments and shit. Like at the end of the day, I know it, it does my head in like to see it and, and even to be... Even to be in the, the game, Peter, for the last, I've been in the game for 10 years online, running Addicted to Success. And I remember when we used to put, you know, these picture quotes out and we were like kind of pioneering it when no one else was doing it back then. And, you know, to see yeah. the amount of recycled content that's out now, like it just like, I look at it and I'm just like, come on, like, where's the originality? Like, I want to see some creativity happening here. I want some exclusive stuff. What? Why are people just recycling from each other? It's like we're getting lazy with creation. And it's not just that. It, you, you look at the underlying principle. This, this is a reality check for 99% of people on social media, right? Social media is not the life you have. It is the life you want everybody else to think you have because you think that they see you as the star of your movie. Wake up. Ooh. Yep. There you go. So how do we do it different? Because I, I want to like end it with this. I think it's such an important point. How do we do it different then for everyone that's listening that goes, you know what? You're right, Peter. I do feel like I'm doing that. How do we create a shift? Well, the first thing to say is to get out of group. Right? Recognize nobody cares. Stop validating yourself by how many likes you get and start focusing on a different metric. How, many, yeah, how much of my gift can I give today? How much of my fear can I surrender today? How much of you know, what, what am I going to do today that's going to make a difference to somebody else and not care if they know it's me? Come from that place and you'll start shifting the game. Yeah. Yep. I agree. I, I stopped looking at the likes and the views. I started looking at how many people are actually direct messaging me and how many people are wanting to come to my events and to be in the room and rub shoulders and, and to come and hang out on the beach, you know, to have a coconut, you know, <laughs> like the, <laughs> these things to me are like more important now. And I think that it's funny how you said like the first 10 years for you, I really feel like I'm coming off the back end of that whole significance thing. And, and, Man, it's so funny. I've been told by so many of my mentors so many things like Gary Vaynerchuk and Grant Cardone are like, Joel, you've got to like really build a sales team and get good at sales. And I was like, yeah, 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 yeah. And then I hit a point where I'm like, oh, like finally we have a sales team. I'm like, oh, now I get what they're saying. It's like you hear this advice from so many people, you know, giving back, you've got to give back. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But then when you actually do it, you realize like, oh, now I get it. Mm -hmm. Now I'm actually experiencing it and I understand the depth of why you know this is being shared on such a vast level all the time. I'm hearing it consistently. It's because 
it's for a reason. Yeah, and you'll get it when you're ready. Yeah, it's not about not being yeah. good enough because you don't get it now. Again, we're all on our journey and, and the script of your movie. Yeah, it may be a few scenes down the line. Yeah, maybe a few bends around the river before the penny drops in a way that you realize that, whoa, I just wasn't ready before. And there was a reason for that. And that's okay. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm not in a race to the, to the final scene of my movie here. <laughs> you know? Yeah. 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 So anyone listening, get ready to be the mad freaking scientist in the lab of life and just get out there, experiment, get your hands in the dirty, get, get in the trenches. You know, it's, Swing it's, the bat. Yeah. yeah. We're in the game, guys. Again, we're living in a time in history. You know, our ancestors, many of which died in childbirth so that we, you know, giving childbirth so that we could live and have the privilege of being here today. What are you doing with the gift that you got? Mm. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Peter, this is an amazing conversation. I cannot wait to get this out. Thank you so much for jumping in. Thank you for sharing your wisdom and instilling it in us. And uh, where can we find you online? Well, um, petersage.com is my website. And obviously, I, I put a lot of stuff out and I can on YouTube. I've got a, a huge amount of uh, content there for, for uh, covering a lot of different subjects. Uh, I'm on a fair few podcasts. And if you've got anyone you'd want to recommend me to, I'd be, be very happy to go contribute there as well. I mean, I'm, I'm all about wanting to just try and get the message out to as many people as possible. Um, and uh, yeah, please stay in touch, subscribe, and, and it would be a pleasure to, yeah, to uh, help give more to people that are in that world. Yes, for sure. This has been such a golden conversation. I can't wait to share it. And uh, I've got you back. I can't wait to read your book. And I, I can't wait for the rest of the world to hear this conversation. Thank you so much, Peter. Now, Peter, before we end the interview, I ask every guest this last question. And this question is, if you were to deliver your last 30 second speech to the world, what would your last 30 seconds sound like? Your parting advice? It would have to be the message that, that I give earlier, yeah, that come to a place of understanding that no matter what you've done, no matter what you've not done, you'll always be worthy of love, that you were born good enough. You've got nothing to prove, nothing to defend, nothing to conquer. Go give the gift of life and go enjoy the gift of life.